one, we're live. We were live when you said two and one, right? Well, I don't know. I'm just, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to not say those numbers. Three, two. But it might be funny if you did that, too. But yeah. anyway, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. And we are so glad that you're joining us, whether you are watching this live, which I haven't even pulled up the website yet for. I need to do that. I'm slacking. Or you are joining us afterwards, watching this on Facebook, watching it on our website, or you're catching this via podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We're so glad that you're a part of it. And we really hope that you're challenged and encouraged by as always we'd like to encourage you that if you have any questions you're welcome to submit those questions you can do that before after during whatever you want via overtime at clcfamily.church or if you click the watch live tab from our website and we are live we usually record around 12 or 12 30 sometimes one mm -hmm. on tuesdays you can also join us and interact with us live on that so that's or you can just text us 610-869-2140 we'll get that notification as well yeah that's another way that you can join yep. us so any questions whether related to the weekend message or just questions that you're walking through so like if you just want to ask about my hair be happy to tell you about what's going on with it yeah you're welcome to do that or <laughs> not ask about it so but uh christian says we sound good <laughs> thanks producer christian one of the things that we like to do is just kind of give you an update of something that's happening in or around the church. Like last few weeks, we've been kind of really pushing Easter, which that was this past Sunday. Um, today, we want to let you know this is kind of a slow leak, if you will. Um, so you can either choose to deny where you heard this information, or you can just admit it if you want to, if somebody asks. Today at, by I think, 2 p.m. That's what I've been told. The official disc golf course here at the Christian Life Center will actually be completely up. Now, the signage is not up. So you won't know where to go, but all the baskets will be there. All the tees will be ready. All of the so baskets, go. all of the tees are ready. So if you want to show up. There'll be some signage. Just not all the signage and benches and not all the stuff. Yeah, but, so it's not 100%. But all the baskets are up. But all the baskets are up. And if you would be interested in being part of that, hey, you can kind of come on over, check that out. Duffy Sample and his crew of people have been working so Thank you, Duffy. Still out there working right now as we speak. Yeah, that's right. So shout out to Duffy. Thank you so much for that. I'm personally pumped because I love disc golf. I don't know if I've ever played like a real game of it. Yeah. I think I just made stuff up is as it, I went. It's good for your abs. Is it? Yeah, my obliques hurt a little bit from yesterday throwing. Yeah. So if you want a good ab workout, that's Work where, those you obliques. Should, where you should go. Uh, yep. So uh, yeah, so do want to let you know about that. Like I said, <laughs> this is uh, it's April 6th. Um, so at about 2 p.m., all of those baskets are supposed to be up by today. Not the signage, so that could be a little confusing, but you're welcome to check it out if you'd like to. And shout out to Duffy. So with that, do you want to kind of give us a review of what we talked about this past weekend? We talked about the resurrection and Jesus coming back to life. Done. All right. No, not so, really. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is what we talked about. But what we've been talking about in this is a series called the Official Sense Study Guide where we're looking at how Jesus sends these – 12 disciples to go. Yes, sir. Ben is, oh. needs to be a little bit more I powerful. Need to be turned up. Sorry. So, okay, keep speaking. I don't know which Check one. Check one, two. Hey, hey, uh, I'm Ben. Thanks so much for joining us. Did that cut out entirely? Mm, it's going to be one. I don't think so. I'm still there. Well, sorry if you can't quite hear us, friends, or can't hear me. Check. Say, I look good, but it's you for some reason. Yeah, yours is pretty pranked. Mine's connected here. Check one, two. Hey, hey, glad that you're joining us. My name's Ben, and it's kind of warm in this booth. I think the temperature is getting... Oh, yeah. So we're, we're about a minute and a half behind. I think we should be good now. Go ahead and talk okay. here. Check one, two. Hey, yeah, I've yeah. got yellow, so I think so, we're good. So. Perfect. Sorry about that. So uh, uh, Easter Sunday, really, really happy. To have you here with us if you were here with us or join us online. Sorry, I'm still checking this. There we go. I'm bringing you up immediately back. Okay. So, um, what we've been working through with Official Sense Study Guide was uh, kind of looking at uh, how Jesus uh, brought restoration to our whole world, even if we haven't experienced it yet. And so, um, one of the really interesting things about if you go back 2,000 years when Jesus was ministering and had these 12 followers he was preparing to actually send out, hence the official study guide. When he sends them out, and then when he releases them full on for bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, a year and a half after he sends them out, um, some crazy things happen for, as it relates to racism and poverty and, uh, you know, the 
treatment of women, all those things, you know, hot button issues that we're looking at and facing right now. Those were issues 2000 years ago. And something that Jesus does it in and through his people actually uh, resolves a lot of that in a, in a, in a culture and a place that really, really had high levels of tension and anxiety and frustration and embitterment towards one another, right? So talking about racism and poverty and misogynism and uh, healthcare problems, all those kind of things. Uh, so what happened 2,000 years ago? And is it possible to be able to jump back into that? And so what I shared with you last week, I think it's really, really important is kind of how change happens. It seems to be a slow creep, then a massive plunge, right? And, uh, yeah, just my observations, but I think you would agree that little by little, day by day, cumulative effect, it gets to this place where you're creeping to the edge and then finally at the edge, there's just no place to go and, except for this, you know, deep, dark plunge. And so for many of us, it certainly feels like our world's in this free for all and, uh, you know, free fall kind of mess. And so as you think about the mess, you go, okay, if this is what happened, if there's a slow creep and then a plunge that kind of got us into this, is it possible for us to get out of it? And I'm not talking about like white males to get out of it. I'm talking about all people experiencing all sorts of whatever it is. You know, so what I'm trying to guard against is this belief that just some people are bothered by the current scenario and they want to fix it and go back to wherever it was great again. I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about, is it possible that for centuries we've been in this slow creep and now we're in this massive fall? And is it possible that we could kind of restore order? And all that. And not only get out of the dark pit, but get into a place that God would have for us. And so certainly seems like that's a possibility. It looks like 2,000 years ago, they were in a similar spot. And there's something significant that happened to kind of reverse the order. Like radical renewal, radical reversal, radical restoration. And so if it's a slow creep to a dark plunge, is it possible that there can be a slow creep to a massive launch? Right? And so I think there is. And... Easter Sunday seems to explain a lot of that. And so the problem with getting out of a pit of despair is gravity, right? Both literally and figuratively. And so it certainly seems to require something beyond this natural world to get us out. And so we looked at this past Sunday uh, was kind of these, these two really neat stories and then a you know, kind of a bonus story that explains the first two stories. And this is a story inside of a story where Jesus does two healings. One, he offers cleansing to someone really, really important. Like he makes her right again. He brings her to wholeness and peace again, meaning that's one of the things Jesus is looking to do is actually bring wholeness to us. And so we see that the way by which that happens really, really important is that uh, what she did is she just clinged to Jesus' garment. Something to think about there. And it really makes sense. As you're in this free fall, what do you do? Well, you cling to something that you can hold on to. The first step in stopping the gravitational pull was just finding something solid to hold on to, which is pretty neat. So in this world where it feels like it's really dirty and broken, we get to model our lives around this lady who is in 12 years of pain and sorrow. What did she do? She literally reaches out and grabs Jesus's, the, the garment of, uh, the, the helm of his garment. And what we see there is it's just not in this, beautiful healing and cleansing and restoration. And then he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Really, really important to think about what that means to go in wholeness, which means there is an opportunity for you and I to have wholeness. First step is to cling to what we can be certain of. That would be Jesus. But if you think about even in the free fall, clinging to what's certain, right? That that keeps you from continuing to fall. But does it actually get you out of the pit that you're already in? Nope. Got to figure out a way to actually get out of whatever that gravitational pool is and what i'll describe it as what the scriptures describe it as is actually death meaning eternal disconnection from life so then we get to see another story not only did jesus uh you know bring cleansing to someone he actually also brought healing to them and here's what's really really neat about the story of healing uh the little girl did nothing to get it in fact when jesus finds her she's dead meaning it has nothing to do with her or her fate she had an advocate, like you have an advocate, like I have an advocate in Jesus himself. And it's actually the advocate, the advocate who goes and gets Jesus, brings him, uh, brings him to his daughter. And then in that moment, he not only gets her out of the, you know, gets her back into life, he gets her out of a pit of despair and death and brings her to life. So let's think about there, clinging and advocates. And so those two stories are really, really neat, but the reality is both of them eventually have bad things happen in their life again both of them end up dying and so it's like oh, i guess that's neat they can have a little bit better life on this earth but aren't 
don't we actually long for something more than just birth to death, you know, make it to 80 or 90 peaceful years and just that be the end. And so what's so beautiful about this story is not just that we see the pattern of how we get out of our mess and see the pattern how we get into life. We now get to see how that pattern continues for all eternity. And the way that it does is Jesus actually tells that that, that girl and her parents not to share this story with anyone. He feeds them some food. Here you go, girl. Have some a biscuit for breakfast. And then says, don't tell anyone. You go, Why in the world would he not want them to tell anyone? And my guess is because he actually wanted them to tell a different story. And 2,000 years later, we got to tell the story that matters above all the other stories. Not the stories that they could have told, but the better story that they did tell. And that's the one where Jesus, in a pit of despair, gets murdered, crucified, put into the ground, into a tomb. And it seems like there is no hope. It is a massive free fall. But then on the third day, he rises from death, changes the trajectory. You know, and his resurrection power comes back to life and then offers us. He actually says, do you stay here? So he says to the first disciples, until you're clothed with my power, and then you go to the ends of the earth. And so I feel like this last year has been this year of going, God, would you reclothe us with your power? And then would you release us to go and bring the good news, to go bring healing to our broken world? And so I just wanted to point out that the resurrection is that which ignites that thing. And so next week, we'll see where he sends them out. And in the meantime, we can go, that same resurrection powers for us. So it certainly seems like he'd want to send us out as well. So that was the sermon in a nutshell. Uh, 50 minutes, you can go listen to it online. that online. the conclusion of the series, right? So next nope, week is nope. a brand new one? Or? That, that next week next is the week conclusion is... of the official sent study guide okay. because they officially get sent. Yeah. Okay. No, yep. Well, and yeah. then we'll start a new series the next week called On Mission or something like okay. that. I don't know if that's what we'll call it. But we'll actually see them live this out. Right. So, Right. So one of the things, and we'll continue to hear it um, next week as we conclude that, is um, you, you said a couple things in this. So what you talked about is the how faith comes. So we get faith by hearing the Word of God. Um, and so you had kind of said that we hear about it, we think about it, we speak about it. And then bring about it. So is there anything more that you wanted to share with that? And I'm asking that because it does kind of go in line with one of the questions that somebody had asked us. So I didn't know if there was anything more you wanted to share about that. Well, I just let me just remind you of kind of the pattern. Uh, Romans 10, Paul tells us how we get to experience the kingdom of God. He actually uses the word saved. And he, he says that uh, whoever confesses with their mouth and, and believes in their heart that Jesus is the Lord and that God raised Jesus from the dead, they will be saved. So there's something about believing this, right? So you go, well, we've got to believe it, which has something to do with our thoughts, right? So we, get, we know that. And what it says earlier in there is, is that faith is that our access to the kingdom comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of Christ. So what we're actually seeing is that throughout the scriptures, Jesus is teaching and people are hearing it. And then as they think about it, right, and that's processing it, they choose to believe it, right? So uh, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them in actions, like a wise man and put his house and build his house on right. So there's something about our participation. And what Paul tells us is first, you have to, you know, whoever hear, ever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart. So two things there, right? You got to believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, and then you confess with your mouth. So you hear it, you think about it, you believe it, then you speak it. And then guess what happens? It says those are the people who are saved. Those are the people who get access to the kingdom of God. So you bring about it. So the pattern of actually living into the kingdom starts with actually hearing these words and then considering them. And as you consider them, believing them. And then as you believe them, speak them. And as you speak them, you're actually getting the opportunity to bring about this. If you've made that acknowledgement, you get you are a participant in the kingdom, which means you are clothed with his power, which means you get to go and be sent on mission to bring about change in our world, not with your power, but with God's power. So I just want you to see kind of the pattern of which that happens. What's really neat is you hear about it, you think about it, you speak about it, you bring about it. But as you speak about it, the way by which you're bringing about it is other people are now hearing about it and thinking about it, and then they're speaking about it. And so now all of a sudden you get to see how a movement started. So, uh, so I want to jump into this first question that has to do with that. But Christian can say that I'm a tad bit um, soft. So if my volume goes up anymore. Um, yeah, so this question uh, from one of our listeners says this. It says, I'd like to start to, uh, I'd like to start through with the beginning of our faith. I understand that God is the author and finisher, finisher of our faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. I believe that when we receive our salvation, there's a deposit or measure of faith given 
us from Jesus. I've read that there is little faith, great faith, and concludes faith um, is like a muscle which needs to be exercised to grow. Often I've heard it said that someone may not have received healing because they did not have faith. And at times that statement has been followed by, but Jesus has enough faith for both of us. Can you correct anything that may not be plumb to God's word in this paragraph? Yeah, so thanks for a uh, good question. I'm not sure what's going on with the audio. Uh, I'm going to have to figure that out. But um, So faith is an interesting thing because when Jesus talks about faith, he actually says something so strange. And I love how Jesus taught with icons because um, one of the things that he does is he gives kind of these word pictures. And uh, I don't know if he actually picked up a mustard seed, but in, in, in one place he, he says that anyone who has the faith of a mustard seed, that's really, really tiny. I've been told it's like the size of a ballpoint on a ballpoint pen. He said that anyone who has the faith of a mustard seed can say to a mountain, move, and the mountain will move. And so... This is all sorts of complicated to me because the first time I really started thinking about this, seventh, eighth grade, I remember going, I really want to have faith. And it's so silly. I spent a couple hours making this up. In fact, I remember because I then started jumping over a water hose and I cut my teeth and got them out of place. You know, my teeth were crooked. And right, my two front teeth, you see on the little crooked one overlaps. And it's from this day where I jumped up and my knee caught my tooth when I was I, I'm hurtling a water hose. And that, got some good height though. Yeah, my knee, shoe, you know. And so, um, but as I was doing it, um, before that, it was my friends came over and were messing around. But for like two or three hours, I literally was like, I'm going to have faith today. Like I read this, I want to put my faith in action. I was kind of this, you know, white hot faith all of a sudden. The seventh grade going, I really want to, you know, really want to live this. And it's all that had to do with, you know, my behavior modification. So I worked on all that stuff. And I remember over and over again, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Um, and I've shared this story before that I would stand on the edge and I would pray and I would try to visualize and absolutely believe that when I stepped on the water, I'd walk on it. Like it's ridiculous now. And time in over and over and over again. I just kept falling in. Never once did I walk on water and those kind of things. And I remember just going, like, it really it really shook me. It's funny now because it's like, oh, gosh, maybe Jesus isn't in me. Maybe I don't know God. Maybe because I thought for sure there would be this manifestation of this, you know, sign or wonder because my faith would, you know, display itself in those things. And I look back at it and go, Jesus actually tells us whatever we ask in his name and his likeness he'll do, but he actually has his brother tell us whoever asks for wisdom will give it to him unless they ask for the wrong reasons. And so now I look back and go, I wonder if this is the wrong reasons. Like, what happens if I really walk on water? What does that do to my pride? Yeah. You know, and humility was really what was That's necessary. What I was thinking. What would so, happen if yeah. you actually were able to Yeah, so like I would start moonwalking on that <laughs> water, you know. And so I, it's really confusing, the whole faith thing. But what I, what I do understand about faith, really, really important to think about, is when it describes it as a mustard seed, that's not saying you just have a small amount of faith and you can increase a mountain. But if you have a big mountain, then you can, you know, you know, you could tell an entire, you know, continent to move. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think what we're understanding is the faith of a mustard seed does massive things. In other words, it's not about the the magnitude of the faith. It's about the part of faith. And whenever we see it in the scriptures, uh you know, uh, we go back to the parable of the sowers. We covered a couple of parable of the sower, you know, the seeds a couple of weeks back. And in that one, Jesus tells us that the way that a seed happens, and he tells us the seed is the word of Christ, right? And so he, he gives us the, the, the illustration, the analogy. And so we, when we think about that, we think about faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, and the seed is the word of Christ. It certainly seems like the word of Christ and hearing the word of Christ and the seed are all kind of connected to faith. So let's just describe it that way. Yeah, Jesus says mustard seed for faith, and now we have this analogy of the sower with faith, with a seed. And so what I think it, what Jesus is getting at is that the faith has more to do with it starting small than it has to do with the size that it increases to, right? And so what it certainly seems like is Faith start as a, starts as a seed and then grows within us as it's nourished by Jesus, by the Word of Christ, by the Holy Spirit. So God is always doing something big, but it tends to almost always start as something small. Think about it. Like Jesus started as this couple little tiny cells inside of Mary, right? So you think about God was bringing the Savior of the world. But it started and, and then had this nine-month gestation period that Jesus 
was growing as a baby. So if that's the case, we just see this modeled over and over again that it starts small and gets big. Even when you see the, the waters finally break open in uh, the story of Elijah and the, you know, the prophets of Baal and the drought, he kept sending a servant who finally came back at like the seventh time and goes, I see a tiny little cloud. And it's like, what? You won't, but even when it seems small, God's always doing something big. And so I would just say in terms of faith, it starts, starts, starts from hearing and thinking and allowing that, go back to the parable of the sowers, to get into us. You're not responsible for the soil. Jesus is responsible for tilling the soil. Your responsibility is to receive it in faith, receive it, and then allow God to nourish it through his word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, at the pace by which God wants the the seed to grow. And it might grow into a mighty oak. I certainly hope it does. Or it might grow into a beautiful fruit tree that people can enjoy. But all that work is actually Christ's work. Our job is to receive the seed and then allow God, his spirit, to continue to work in us to nourish it. So uh, the neat thing about what Jesus says right after the parable of the sower is he actually tells us about, um, he actually goes straight into this illustration about light. And he talks about letting light in. And so it certainly seems to me that Faith that can be small, that's okay. And the way by which it's nourished, like a seed, is through water and light. And so our job in allowing faith to grow in our life isn't to conjure it up, right? But to continue to let light expose the darkness, make it flee in our life, and allow more light to shine in so that more growth can happen. So our role in it is more of just receiving God's work, receiving Him and allowing light to you know cast out darkness, and then watching as it grows and you continue to operate in faith. But that all is Jesus at work inside of you. So that's where I go, I'm going to make myself, you know, walk on water. It wasn't like I was praying and hearing from God and had the Holy Spirit do through his word or just do, you know, some quiet time go, Josh, I want you to walk on water. Never was it his prompting. It was my prompting. So it certainly seems like faith has to go into us as a seed. And then as it grows, the spirit inside of us, as it grows, prompts us. And then those are the things we pray for. Those are the things we participate in. So what I would argue is if you're wondering whether or not your faith has been growing and it doesn't seem like it has, then I would go, where are you letting the light in? Where are you letting the Holy Spirit do its work in you? Because here's kind of the big principle. Before God takes new territory through you, it certainly seems like he wants to take new territory in you. So the way by which it grows, allow God to have new territory in you. And as he takes new territory in you, he'll start to take new territory through you, through prayer, through the works of the Spirit, through conversations, all those things. But it starts as a seed. And then God's word continues to go into us. And then it grows from there. I hope that makes some sense. Yeah. I want to kind of ask and maybe focus a little bit more. There's part of this question is um, asking about healing, which we see as we um, look at the story. So Jesus heals uh, this man's daughter, and he also heals this woman with the issue of blood. So we're going to get to that. Uh, but let me ask this question kind of in regards to, to healing. Um, and so this one, the, the one question from one of our viewers asks that kind of I've often heard it said you may not receive healing because they didn't have faith and at times that statement had been followed by Jesus has enough faith for both the other question then says this um, it's referring to Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 it says comes to mind where there's 10 uh, where there was 10 left who had leprosy uh, they were cleansed and to told and told to show themselves to the priest but only one saw that he was healed and returned to thank Jesus of the 10 only one uh, was said had faith that his faith made him well. What happened to the healing of the other nine? Did they get healed versus cleansed? Uh, did they lose what they received? We can only suggest what could have happened, I guess. Surely uh, we'll be visiting this passage as we continue on with Luke. So, any thoughts there as you're looking at the, the story of the 12 uh, or the 10 lepers? Yeah, so good question. Um, nah, I don't know what we'll get there. I, I'm kind of bored with the Gospel of Luke. I think we're going to try something new. It's not true. Yeah, we're, we're gonna uh, yeah we're going to stick with it. Um, so I actually saw the question, went and read back through it. I'm going, hey, do I know that one well? And I know it fairly well. And I thought, I thought they all got healing. And so when you go and you read it, and it says when he saw them, uh, he says, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So my assumption is they're all cleansed. Yeah. They're all cleansed, right? So they all find healing and cleansing, okay? And then, uh, and it says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. 
He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. This is really, really interesting because this is someone outside the, the pedigree of yeah. the Jews. Really, really neat that this is the guy who decides to do this. So he comes back with a grateful heart. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 clans. So I would say at that point, uh, uh, all 10 found cleansing and healing, depending on what you're looking at, a healing. I, I don't know that I would classify this healing as like a super, I mean, it, it was a miraculous sign of wonder, but not like as in um, eternal healing. Like this isn't uh, the kind of healing of salvation. This is the kind of healing of your body. This is like you having a sickness and no longer having the sickness. I would not say that this defined it as salvation. Now, there is one. We're not all 10 cleansed. Jesus asked, when, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner this is really interesting this is what jesus does in the spirit he's connecting all people and he's inviting everybody to the table he's making everybody family and so this is pretty interesting particularly for the jews watching all this and then he said to him rise and go see this right here your fate has made you well that well i would say is different than the healing or the cleansing earlier so the question is do they all get healing is healing and cleansing the same those two words seem to be interchangeable based on how they kind of play out but this word well, I would say, is different. This is where we see this supernatural moment where he says, your faith has made you well. He already had the, the regular cleansing, but he didn't have this positioning of Jesus as Lord, right? He comes to his feet and does those things. So if we're talking about what this means for eternity, I think you got one of the 10 who has positioned himself as God, as King and Lord, and he is the one who wants to spend eternity worshiping and praising God. Like I tell you all the time, people who spend their whole life saying they want nothing to do with God eventually get their wish. Uh, heaven will be a terrible place if you don't want to praise and worship Jesus. If you don't want to make it much about Jesus, you will not want to be there. Of the 10, how many of them wanted to be around Jesus? One. How many of them uh, treated Jesus like a genie in the bottle? Nine. And so what you see is they all got you know, superficial healing. I don't know that all got supernatural healing. So that would be how I would explain that. Yeah, that's um, so we do have one more question, but I think I'm going to hold off for that and just kind of jump into the text. Okay. So basically we were in Luke chapter eight. We read verses 40 through, uh, let's see, uh, 40 through the end, which is 56. So we're going to kind of jump into that. And so this starts off with its, uh, how do we say his name? Jairus? Um, Jairus. Jairus. Yeah, okay. the I comes before the R. So yeah. uh, Jairus is a man who is a uh, ruler of the synagogue. You said that basically his position would be similar to like a modern day pastor. Yeah, so like, a, like okay. he would have been one who had, had authority over the synagogue. If there were keys, he'd had the keys. Right? Okay. If there were scrolls to keep up with, he would have had those. So yeah, this guy is the rector and the pastor, kind of all in one kind of thing. So, yep. So kind of as you read through this text, and we probably won't hit on all of this again, we always encourage you to watch that Sunday morning message first and then let this kind of be the conversation that comes after that. So this is kind of 2.0, if you will, or um, just kind of the secondary part. So has this daughter who is not doing well. She's sick. He doesn't know where to turn. We watched the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, which is, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's an awesome little Bible, little book. If you have kids, I would highly recommend the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's an awesome way for your kids to be able to digest God's Word in a younger age. But, and every single story points to Jesus as yes, the hero. Old yeah. Testament, New Testament, yep. And so, doesn't know where to turn, and he comes running to Jesus. Like, he hears that Jesus is there. Um, he implores him, this is uh, verse 41, he implores him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so, people are pressing around, they, Jesus agrees to go. They start walking there. And then it's kind of like an interruption in the middle of this story. Like, so this is where we're going, where Jesus is going to heal this, this young girl. And I have a better way to explain it. And this old woman interrupts. Like, how do we kind of look at this woman in the middle of this? Because you had talked about some of the significance of her kind of being in a crowd, the Jewish custom of that time. How do we kind of view her in the story? Well, it depends. Uh, so when you start the story, if you don't know the story and if you're in the actual place, you view her as inappropriate. Yeah. Just inappropriate. So it's interesting because um, the Jesus Storybook Bible definitely showed her as like this old, frail lady. We don't know all that, those details. And so we don't know. We just know for 12 years she's not been able to do anything. And so when we find her, she is, she is 12 years removed from social interaction, probably. 
And so as we look through her, so you, she is 12 years removed. There's another guy who somehow made his way all the way to him who is very concerned about his daughter. And we tend to take high priority on kids yeah. and their what health. Right? If you're older, you know, suck it up. You had some life. This little 12-year-old hasn't yet, right? It's kind of how we view that yeah, in our culture. Right, right. And I don't know if that would have been too different then, especially like uh, infant deaths would have been really significant. And they happen all the time. But, you know, like that, that wouldn't have been a sig- wouldn't have been, been as significant. But a twelve year old, you've gotten through all that stuff. Yeah. This is uh, this is kind of their life. And what, does it say only in that? Uh, this does. That's ESV. Yeah. Does it say only daughter? I keep going up. Uh, only. He had an only daughter, about 12, yeah. So, the other thing about this, this is, it certainly seems to imply this is his only kid, right? Yeah. And so, this woman showing up in the middle of this and deciding to grab his him while she is, yeah. you know, about dying is, is almost considered rude. Like, yeah. you just you just made this a messy day for all those people. Because yeah. if they find out that you have a blood disorder, they're all going to have to leave and go get ceremonially clean. Right. And so, Which can, what was that like? That was a washing type thing, like, I mean, and presenting themselves to the priest. I think is that accurate? Um, trying to think because there's if, if they would have touched something dead, there's one thing. I don't, I don't know that this is. And so I, I may have misspoke about the ceremonial part. I have to look that up. I don't, I don't know offhand. Well, so it certainly seems like they would have to go and get. Plans. I don't know if this is a big temple moment okay. for them, if a priest shows up there, or if there's just a ritual they have to walk through. Yeah, yeah. But I do know that it's... It's a big deal. It, right, it, right. I mean, it's, it's at least an inconvenience. It's more than a flat tire. Yeah, right. right. As you're driving on the road. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's kind of what happens, is that she interrupts, and yeah. it's an inconvenience for definitely Jairus, yeah. um, and then all of these people. So, But it's also a beautiful moment in there. Um, what we see. So uh, let me continue on. Um, uh, verse 42 says, uh, middle of 42, it says, As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on um, physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and said, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Uh, I feel like maybe we should pause there and just kind of talk through. There's a lot that happens in here. So she spends all of her money. She couldn't be healed. You made it a point to kind of say, Luke's a physician. Yeah. Like, so as he's recording this, he's probably speaking from an educated point of view. Yeah. Going, there was nothing they could do. Yeah. Is there anything more to that? that we well, what I love about this is the Bible actually gives us a real understanding of where salvation, when, not where. Where is Jesus? But when salvation tends to occur, and it certainly seems like when we've exhausted all of our options. Yeah. So one of the things I want to point out into this free fall is that it's like, do you really think another policy or another politician is going to fix this mess? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think canceling another organization is going to fix this mess? Right? Like, do you think boycotting? Like, there's all these different things, and we keep thinking maybe one of those things will fix whatever we think's wrong with our culture. We have different opinions of what's wrong, but all of us agree something's wrong, right? And so it certainly seems like we keep trying different options, different things, and even in our own lives, it certainly seems like when we are bankrupt, right? When we are without options. And so that's literally what the word poor means in the scripture. It says he came to set, bring liberty to the poor, right? What he's talking about is those who are desolate and without options. And so what, what we're getting at here, what we're seeing, is that this lady is without options. Yeah. She doesn't have any monetary options. She can't get fixed. This has been 12 years, not even 12 months. We're exhausted by the last year. Can you imagine it for 12? 12 years. She has no options. So the only reason she's coming to this place at this point is the same reason Jairus is coming to this place at this point. He can't fix his daughter. So this idea that we hate feeling helpless and don't hate feeling like we're not in control. We just pause for a second and go, can we acknowledge that we're helpless and not in control? Control is actually an illusion, right? And it's in that position, both Jairus and this lady, that both of them come to Jesus, right? They are helpless. Which, you know, so weird is um, our society doesn't like helpless people, right? Like, think about if you're dating someone. 
maybe it's cute for a second when they're really clingy and dependent, uh, and you know, dependent on you. But it gets to a point where you actually want to see some confidence and not just some, you know, like neediness and like there. Nobody likes a ton of neediness. In fact, what you do, you avoid the people in your life that are really, really needy. You do. You answer their phone calls. So in society, we don't like needy people. The only person in the history of the world who really likes needy people is Jesus. He loves needy people because they're in the right spot. And so these people who are probably annoying to other people, particularly this woman, this one exhausts all her options, is the exact person Jesus is looking for. So neediness, in light of the gospel, acknowledging our... That our despair is actually something that primes Jesus to, and that position is what primes us to see Jesus at work in our life. And so this is where it certainly seems that those, those seeds of faith actually enter us. That's what I tell you all the time. I love that song, Anthem by Leonard Cohen. There's cracks, there's cracks in everything, but that's how the light gets in. It's in the cracks that this light gets in. So these two people are both coming. One has a daughter who is going to die, and one who is in complete misery and out of options. And, and this, this one interrupts this one. And Jesus seems to be okay with the interruption. Yeah, he does. And so as the crowd's pressing around him, Jesus, like, she presses in, she, she touches the fringe of his garment. So she doesn't even, like, physically touch him. She touches his robe. Is that significant at all? Um, like, I guess I'm just even thinking of, like, so we just talk about, like, if he would become unclean. I don't know. Is that even significant that Jesus wasn't touched by her? So... Would he still be considered unclean? Yeah, so I don't... That's what I was wondering. I was wondering is it significant? I don't know what her motivation is, right? So, is she actually trying to grab his ankle so he wouldn't walk? Or is she, what was she trying to do? Is she trying to get his attention? Or was she actually cautiously going, I'm going to grab that, I'm not going to grab that. You know, like, I don't, I don't really know the answer. Uh, it certainly feels like she's pretty desperate. Like, and so I think at this point that it just kind of shows the pace of what she's moving. Yeah. And uh, the people that are around, what she had access to. Yeah. So, um, the, way the way that, that I envision it there is, he's almost the helm of his garment wouldn't have been at the front; it would have been at the back of him, right? Because he's, he's stepping forward. If you imagine that, that long robe, yeah, right. that part is the last thing to kind of move with him. So, it probably even seems like this is probably a little bit behind him. In fact, we know it's behind him because he doesn't see it anyway. So we assume it's on the back. What's so interesting is. None, None of the disciples see that. And they're, they're all around him. him. So I don't, I don't know if she's laying on the ground. ground. I don't know how this happens. Like, I don't know. I just, I just know it's a desperation to be at their feet in the middle of a pathway. Like, think, think about this. this. There's hundreds of people around. And whatever road this is, there's, there's, there's the fact that it's, it's so, so hard to get them as close as you can get. So yeah, I think what you got to see here is just absolute desperation. And we don't like desperate people. You don't want your boyfriend to be desperate. But boy, does Jesus like desperate people. Yeah. I was just reading ahead for, for 47. It says, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden. So it, it does make me wonder. I wonder, was that an intentional? She was trying to kind of receive her healing, but not. Like a pickpocket. Yeah, like, but just kind of sneak away. But she couldn't stay hidden. So um, so anyway, continuing on with that, Jesus asked who, who touched, it, um, touched her. And then they all denied it. Peter said, the crowds are surrounding. And pressing you on you. Like, like you treat Jesus like a doofus. Like, boy, I, I, I keep, he, he, he saved your or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, like mansplaining. He's like, he's, he's saved your splaining. All right. Well, uh, Christian just came in. If you are watching us live, uh, to let us know that. We have an echo, so we're not sure what is happening. Yeah, I don't. Also, I'm still a tad bit quiet, is what. Yeah, and I got you clipped all the way up. So I keep listening. I just pulled in some echo cancellation, but I don't know if that will help anything. So we can try that and see, but I don't know if it will. So also, this one seems to be okay. Okay. So talk this direction. Yeah, we're gonna keep going. All right. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna keep going. We're 39 minutes in, so we're gonna. We're going to get there. So ask two touches. Jesus uh, or uh, Peter, uh, would you say it's Savior? Save, save your splains. Yeah. So he does that. Someone touched me. Um, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceived that power has gone out from me. This to me is kind of amazing because yeah. I don't fully understand. So 
it's almost like there was healing and power that went out that Jesus wasn't even aware of. Like, whoa, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing because something just happened and it was significant and I'm not even aware of it. So let's figure this thing out. Like, I don't know. Is there anything more to talk about? I think the most important part of that is they would have perked up, I think. I think at the word power going yeah. out. Like, what does that yeah. mean? Like, they understand waste going out. They understand those kind of things. But what does that mean? Because typically yeah. when something goes out of you, whatever the fluid is, you're not real proud of. <laughs> right. right? And so, like, that this seems so strange that something yeah. left his physical body. And so, the fact that he points that out is really, really interesting. Yeah. So, for us, we're going, oh, we, we know the story. But for the them, they're going, he just said... Power left him. What does he mean by that? And they're about to get a quick answer to what he means. Yeah. Because he goes, no, no, someone touched me because I felt power leave my body. Meaning power resides in him. And something about that power was going out of him, which implies that he is a conduit of power. Mm. Right. And now all of a sudden we have at least a glimpse of, okay, if Mm. there's cleansing needs to be done, if there's healing that needs to be done, if resurrection needs to be done, if life needs to happen, it certainly seems that need to come outside of what we're capable of, right? We've exhausted all of our expenses. We've right. exhausted all those things. So if that power comes from him and he's a conduit of it, then imagine it like a water faucet, right? So where's the nozzle and how do we get access to that? Yeah. This is where we start to see the, the beginnings of the setup of what becomes the resurrection story. Yeah. So this power going out is a huge foreshadowing to the conduit that he is and the way by which we gain access to it, mm-hmm. right? And so... They would have gone that strange, and it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to them until death, resurrection, and they start putting all these stories together. And I feel like this is a very significant moment because at this point, like Jesus is moving and walking, but then at that point, he stops, right? Like, And now all of a sudden, he starts looking around. There's questions that the disciples are asking. There's obviously this at least Savior-splaining that's going on with Peter and Jesus. Like, And and that's when we see 47. It says... God bless you. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. God bless you. Um, and falling down before him. <laughs> what a, what a overtime. Saying, that, all right. Are you setting up? Okay. All right. Um, uh, uh, came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then that's the end that we yeah. hear from her. Like, we don't see anything more or anything, like, in addition or, like, because then the, the story continues on yeah. the course that it was going with with Jairus' yeah. daughter. So, it's just kind of an amazing thought there that this significant moment happens. And then it's like, Jesus has very few words with her, but he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Yeah, so, um, this wasn't Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, we we spent a lot more time here. Yes, yeah, right. Don't didn't have it, and the clock was running, and babies were, you know, whining and all those kind of things. Or people and were sneezing. The wind was blowing. I mean, it was all sorts of stuff. And so, but this is really significant that it does go. What what what, yeah. what just happened? And in the pre, you got the in presence of all the people. Really interesting because we know that uh, Luke got eyewitness account. So it's pretty yeah. interesting to go. Who did he talk to? Did he talk to a woman? Did he talk to the disciples? Did he talk to the crowd? Like, yeah. who is he bringing into the story to get it? And so that's pretty interesting to me. And I would have spent some time here just talking about the interruption. Yeah. Because our world is interruption of verse. Yeah. Right? At least mine is. Like, I, I am locked and loaded. I got this thing. I'm going to do this thing for this long. And then I'm going to go do that thing for that long. And then I got three more minutes to do this thing. And then I'm going to hop in the car and get my kids. Then I'm going to yeah. bring them home. Then I'm going to go do this thing. Right? There's just very little margin in our life. And without any margin, we just can't be interrupted, which I think is kind of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's about margin, right? All the people couldn't be interrupted. The one guy can, and so that's what happens. And we even learn not to, uh, you know, have, you know, downtime because if you have downtime, someone else sucks up that downtime, right? Like, so I waited tables for a while, and this is so embarrassing. Like, you should come to this thing. It's like, I'm like, I'm just, I just expose all of my brokenness, right? And so when I waited tables in college, like, I was real fast. Like, I didn't write stuff down. My brain just worked well, and I was able to deliver stuff. But the problem was because I was so quick and other people were so slow, I got responsible for running all their food. And oh, it actually okay. frustrated me because some of them would just I'd be lazy in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, whatever it was, I was an arrogant 19-year-old. 
So my brother, who used to wait tables and all, taught me this really neat trick. And we used to work together at Applebee's. Don't and you can eat there if you want to. Don't eat at the one in Dalton, Georgia, for sure. Um, and what my brother taught me was that if you stand off to the side and you count in your head, it looks like you're really busy. So I would say, instead of helping people, yeah. because I wasn't Christ-like. And so, because I didn't want to, like, so even that I didn't want to be uninterrupted. So I came up with this, this thing and I just you look at this and a girl is dead, all, about to die, and then dead. Oh, she's dead at this point, probably. Yeah. And this is the exact time that Jesus didn't go, don't bother me now. Yeah, I got right. a dead girl to go fix. This is important. Yeah, I know. Like, oh, no, no, you know, and so I just, I just really like, am like sucker punch with this story because I just, I think most of the things I'm doing are important. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. there's just something about giving the Holy Spirit and Jesus permission to interrupt our day and people that with the Spirit's guidance to, you know, interrupt our day. And I'm not saying don't have boundaries. I'm saying those things. But there is just something here to go, ah, there's some stuff we could probably consider as it relates to our kids and our work day and all sorts of stuff. But I know you got jobs to do and I know it's more complicated than that. But this was a dead girl and Jesus decided to let her die so he can fix this woman. Now, I know we can also fix the girl and maybe you go, I can't fix the other thing. I got to do that thing first. But there's just something to learn in terms of the interruptions. Yeah, I, I do want to ask this question um, by another one of our listeners. It says this. It says, rarely in scripture um, are we told the age of a healed person or the length of a person's illness. But we are told the girl raised from the dead was 12 years old and the healed woman had been inflicted for 12 years. Other than the obvious 12 tribes and 12 disciples, is there any anything significant about, about the 12 being the number of years both the woman and the girl in two adjacent verses? Seems curious. Yeah, so uh, lots of thoughts, and most of them are just speculation. So I'll share my speculations because you asked. One, uh, th this is really detailed. Yeah. So, you like... In some ways, it gives you some confidence that Luke did the hard work of figuring out who these people were. Like, he actually goes, no, how exactly old was your daughter? Or, okay, how long has this been going on, lady? You know, that kind of thing. And so, one, the specifics just point to a story that's probably true. So, you got that. Like, it's some pretty, you know, some helpful notes that just goes, hey, the researcher did the right research. So, when you're wondering what age this person is, we are, oh, we know she's 12. Or, oh, man, how long has she been struggling this? Yeah how did she get exhaustive options 12 years so in some ways we have you know just some more confidence in the scriptures and luke's writings because yeah. of it now on top of that you go but they're both 12 one's 11 and one's 13 it's like oh those are neat things nice but notes but they're the same and um i think there's a couple of thoughts and i think you kind of alluded to them in the both the, the 12 disciples which i think alludes to the 12 tribes so yeah. we're talking about this uh the 12 tribes of Israel, which when God, so we think about it, God establishes the family, or the marriage first, then family, and those get off, they get messed up pretty quick, and everything gets messed up, and then what God is eventually going to do is he's going to establish a nation of his people, right? And the way that he does it is he, he empowers humans to, like, lead over a people group. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has multiple wives, and each one of those wives wants some babies, and so they keep having these babies, and so we got this number 12, and it might just be because he liked one of them more than the other, but the other one felt like the only way she got love was if Jacob would make babies with her, and so all this complications. So maybe they just had 12 kids for that reason. Or it could be that God knew that kind of what he wanted and what he wanted to establish was a work of people, and he had these 12 kind of forefathers, these 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of a nation. So there's something about that. And scholars would say the number 12 kind of points to the uh, uh, number of perfection is perfect, right? So you got seven, the number of completion. I mean, it's complete, but 12, it kind of shows the perfect thing. And it seems important enough that when the when Judas takes his life and there's 11 disciples, they add a 12th one. And so most people go, well, he has 12 disciples because of the 12 tribes. And so if one nation, God wanted to restore everything through a nation, but then the nation messed it up, then God's going to establish the church to restore the nation is going and restore the you know, the family and restore the marriage, right? And the way that he's going to do it is the same way he tried to establish the nation or intended to, which is with 12 people. So the 12 disciples look at and create the beginning of this movement that brings restoration to all the broken institutions that God established, right? So those 12 this is the perfect number to do that. And uh, so you got those two things. Now, what I think, well, I think that's probably what it is. I do think mostly it is um, a place to get your antennae up because he just mentioned 12. 
He just mentioned 12 again, right? 12 and 12. And then literally come back this week. You got to come back this week. We got to, we got to wrap up this series. And what Jesus is going to do next is he's now going to pair up the 12 and send them out. We don't know that he's going to pair them up in Luke, but the gospel of Mark, he tells us that. So this is going to be three times and, you know, you know, two weeks and, you know, subsequent verses where he brings up the number 12. So I think this 12, um, is is much more nuanced than just being you know the perfect number it shows the pain it shows the deep level of connection this isn't the six day old or a six week old that they're used to losing this is the only 12 year old daughter this is a woman who's been isolated for 12 years so it allows us to kind of see them to experience and see the helplessness and the pain in it but it also is kind of setting us up to pay attention to the next set of verses which is also going to be about 12 so 12 12 wait just read about 12. Why did, oh, yep. Why did, huh, here it is again. Maybe it'll help us actually focus and go, what does he want to do with these 12? And it's pretty neat what he's going to do. He's going to take these 12. He's going to send them out in pairs. That'd be six groups, right? And then he's going to bring back people and those pairs are going to have more people and he's going to split them up again about six months later. That's the whole idea of this next series. And so what you see is you see these two all grab about 10 more people. So that's 12 because six groups, that's 72. So each two are going to find 10 more and there's going to be a tribe of 12, and so a group of 12, so it certainly seems to be that there's this really perfect number of how ministry and how things could happen in terms of groups and movements. So lots to consider there, but I think the 12 is just helping us understand it and pointing to and helping us pay attention to what's going to come next. So you want to see what's going to come next? Show up this Sunday. Be worth your time. I promise. Well, we've still got a couple minutes left, um, basically, as we work through this. So, basically, Jesus heals her, yeah. says, go in peace. And then 49, as he's speaking, someone from the ruler's house runs up, says, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus says, don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. And then they came to the house. They allowed no one to enter except for him, uh, except for, enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And they were all weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Um, and then 53, I'll just read through the end. It says 53. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Good job, Peter. <laughs> Jeez. It says, verse 54, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And uh, her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that someone should, uh, something should be given to her to eat, and the parents were amazed. But he charged them not to tell, uh, charged them to tell no one what had happened. So I feel like, is there anything more in that? There's a lot going on there. So I don't know if there's parts that you want to pick and choose from that, or or anything that you, you know, didn't get to share on Sunday that you would want to share. Yeah, I think what I would just highlight is power, right? So power went out from him. See that, and then. What we see here is he literally says that she's sleeping. They laugh at him. That's really important. Like, to, like you know, Peter and his buddy, like Luke, is going, "Hey, can you not put that in there? Like, could you like, <laughs> like, could you?" There's a couple of things I'd like for you to leave out. Yeah. You know, because it's two times he just doesn't look very good. He says something boneheaded, and Luke's like, "Ha ha! This is going to be read two thousand years ago, Peter." And then this one, which it says he scoffed or laughed, like it's, it literally means with contempt. Like yeah. this is this isn't like their normal laughter like a comedy show this is like disgust like a you like can't hold it back laugh like like that kind of thing and so for them to feel that towards jesus is pretty significant and i share this sunday and i think that's probably accurate because it tells you the people in the room and then it says they and i think the they points to the people in the room so this is the mom and the dad and the three of jesus closest people and they all cannot they cannot fathom this they think he is out of his mind so Obviously, he means when he says she's sleeping, he means sleeping, but he knows she's dead. But this is really, really important because to wake her up from sleep is like, is, is that simple for him to bring dead back to life, Yeah. right? And so there is just something pretty interesting about this. And I just want to again highlight this girl does nothing to receive this, right? She's dead. I said it as a doornail on Sunday. And it's like, I mean, doorknob. She's. She's dead. She's lifeless. Yeah. So there's something about being someone's advocate, going to Jesus as the advocate that really, really does matter. And that's why I think it's really important that Jesus calls the girl daughter going, you know, have an advocate. There is a role we play in the supernatural healing of the people that we love. And what do we do? We go to the feet of Jesus. 
we go to the feet of Jesus. And so while there's plenty of other stuff to talk about, there is something about his his power that he you now gives us access to. And he actually says the power goes out of him when she touches his clothes. Then he speaks power back into a girl out of his mouth. And so there's something about how power gets breathed back into life from Jesus. And so then it makes sense that Jesus would die. He would come back to life and he'd say, stay here because the same power that I had, you're going to get. And in other words, the church, my people are going to have this breath breathed back into them. And what we know is, you know, 40 days later, he, he ascends. And so I read a little bit of the story of before the ascension. And then as they're waiting and waiting and waiting, there's this moment, this moment where he comes in and his spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in and breathes power into his people. And so I just go, it's really hard for us to get this and fathom this, but I think it's true. And I think we've just been taught to think with our brains and not to experience Jesus with our souls. And so can we, can we hear the story and consider it and believe it and wrestle with it and go, God, if this is true, that means you breathe life into me, but not just life into me. You breathe your power into me. And that power is breathed into me. What's the purpose of the power in Jesus? So that it can go through him. And so there's something about receiving and being conduits of this power. Not just so we can get to heaven one day. The same power, that's how it tells us that, that it, for us to be able to be with Jesus, we have to be, die and then be born again. Like that, that the spirit has to invade our body to resurrect us, right? And that same power. So there's this earthly death that has to happen but that's all about how we get into the next life into eternity right into our final kind of destination with jesus but there's something more about this power because we see it here that this power is not just about conquering death it's also about bringing life and so we got to pay attention to this as we think about being sent this next week you got to show up yeah being sent and being sent with that power being breathed into us so if there's something i would just go circle circle over and over again circle here circle and Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from where? From on high. So there's something about this power, and I don't think we believe it really, but we ask God to give us his power, not so that we can do fancy things or so I can walk on water, mm -hmm. so that life can be breathed in us and life can be breathed through us and we can bring real resurrected life to our broken and fallen world. That is the way you stop the free fall. You cling to him. And that is the way you overcome the gravity. You let his power take you and slow creep and then massive watch. Right. Yeah. That was the last thing that I wrote down exactly what you just said. Yeah. You said the way that we reverse the free fall is receiving the power of God and walking in that. So I thought that that was good. Uh, it looks like we've got maybe two and a half minutes, a little less uh, time left. Was there anything uh, in closing that you wanted to share or anything additional? You're hoping to get to yeah yeah so i shared um in both services I, i'm it's a little bit more reserved on the recorded one just because uh, i just talked a little bit about uh the last year for me and wrestling through even you know this time last year wondering if i even wanted to be a pastor anymore you know like it got the weight is so much and the reason the weight was so much is because i was trying to carry the weight with my own power yeah. right so there is something about this and so when I'm telling you these things, I'm not telling you this as a theorist. Okay, I'm telling it to you as a practitioner. And I really do believe the Lord had me walk through this as someone who experienced the pain, the sorrow, the free fall, all those things, and the resurrection, right? So that I can tell you that I'm, I, I don't tell you this because I hope it's true. I tell you this because I know it's true. And so as someone who sincerely loves you, particularly those of you who are, are disengaged with this, they go, hey, I just really do want to know the Lord and I really do want to walk in his power. It really is available to you. And so you've heard this, keep hearing it. Would you just consider whether that's true? Would you consider? And then would you start to speak this, like, speak this to yourself, speak life into your family, right? Speak joy over your home, all those kind of things. And Jesus actually models this. He actually tells this lady her faith has healed her. And then what does he do? He speaks something to her and he says, go. And he says, go in peace, right? At first glance, it sounds like a command. It is. But he, I don't think he's just commanding the lady. I think he's commanding the peace because he can, right? So go in peace into her and then through her, right? And so would you just hear these things and think them and start speaking the name of Jesus, speaking his resurrection, speaking that peace? Because this is one thing I did kind of tell y'all. Like, I don't. When I think about this, I, 
don't think that I would be described as a person who walks in peace. Like I'm twitchy and, you know, like intense and pretty serious. Like I'll joke from stage, but like, you know, like I want to, you know, every minute matters and stewardship and imagine that I'm a difficult personality to kind of be close to at times. And so I just didn't remember reading this back in probably late April, early May of going, God, this is what I want. I want you to allow me to go in peace. And so I keep speaking that to me, keep telling myself that's what the Lord wants, praying it over my family, right? And so I just would challenge you to actually consider that maybe, because it is, that this power is real and this, the way by which we hear about it, think about it, and then speak it, confess him as Lord, confess that his power is real, confess that he saved us, that confess that he rose from the dead, right? All those things actually do matter. And so seems really weird for those of us who just really like the Bible and like to stay in our heads, but there's something about getting it out loud and walking in it. And so I just challenge you, like I was challenged a year ago, let's just start trying to live in that. And it's going to feel awkward at times, but that's just the little baby steps. And as those, that seed continues to grow in you, it will grow. It'll turn into a mighty oak or a beautiful apple tree that you can share your fruit with someone, whatever that is, but just walk in this power. I would ask you to show back up this next Sunday. Really, really going to be important. So you really get the full picture of what Jesus was preparing his disciples for and what I believe wholeheartedly, 100% he's preparing you and I for in our church for. So please show back up next week. Well, that is all the time that we have for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, we really hope that you're challenged and encouraged. As always, if you have questions, please feel free to email us overtime at clcfamily.church or you can just simply text us the number 610-869-2140. We love to hear from you. We love when your questions are part of what we talk about. Um, we will say sorry. Hopefully you can hear me right now as I'm talking and all the complications, but it's part of the world we live in. So thanks for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Bye.